everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Provoke, a podcast that takes a provocative look at advertising as a whole. We are recording in the Evoke Advertising Studios near Orlando, Florida. Um, I'm your host, Brian Wilder. I'm a copywriter here at the agency. And um, in the studio today, we have Megan Cartaya. She is our resident social media superstar or manager for those who are partial to formalities. Um, she's going to come in a little, little later to kind of talk about, you know, some social media best practices and kind of give a rundown of what she does for our company and, you know, at the behest of our clients. And uh, we're going to play a little game uh, after our interview. So uh, stick around for that. Um, but before we get into that, I kind of just wanted to take some time to talk about why we're doing the show, what the show's about, what you guys can expect and how we got to this crazy place. Uh, so essentially, the show was kind of designed for people who love their job, but moreover, have no problem kind of just nerding out over both the good and the bad that comes with being in advertising. Uh, so long story short, it's an, it's a podcast that's made by advertisers for advertisers. Um, Essentially, everybody kind of has a different path uh, when it comes to falling into the advertising industry. Uh, but at the end of the day, we've all landed here for by some, some way, shape or form. Uh, so t- take me, for example, um, before my my foray into advertising, I was a journalist full time. I worked at a newspaper, a daily newspaper. I don't know if some of you guys remember those things. You fully, very malleable, uh, made of uh, wood pulp. Uh, usually print uh, print print words on them, sometimes photos with ink. Uh, history lesson later. Um, yeah, I started at a newspaper. I worked there for a couple of years, kind of just cut my teeth after college in the you know, cut my teeth in college after college. Uh, my first kind of professional job out of school. And it was really a, a great opportunity to kind of learn the ropes and learn just a lot of office dynamics and just how things ran from an inter interpersonal perspective. Um, I mean, obviously, I did learn a lot about the trade and about the industry and how to become a better, more succinct writer. But it got to a point where I got really, really tired of getting really bad press releases, Um, just just press releases that just were very subpar. Uh, And so it kind of spurred me to really dive more into the marketing PR kind of pseudo advertising realms. Um, But before I even got to before I even got to where I am now, uh, I also had a stint uh, as a inbound marketer for a tech company that specialized in creating software for real estate agents. Um, yeah, you know, super exciting stuff. Uh, and I think there, that's when I really started to gain a true vested interest in what it was to be a marketer and what it was to interact with people within that that holy trinity uh, of, of public, relation, public relations, marketing, and advertising. Um, and so... Uh, I mean, obviously, I kind of gravitated more towards the advertising aspect than I did marketing or PR. And um, after a couple of years as a freelancer, uh, just working for various agencies and doing a lot of uh, long form, short form, as well as just direct sales copy copy work, um, I landed here in the uh, Sunshine State, I'd say about a year and a half ago, and uh, working for Evoke Advertising and um 
the rest is essentially history. Um, but enough about me. Like I said before, we want to take this opportunity and kind of use this podcast as a a catalyst to to to, to a catalyst to to kind of spur a larger conversation about what people do and why they do it. Why did why do they stick it out in the advertising industry? Whether you're a an intern for three months or you've been in the business for well over three decades, um, I, we we really want to hear everyone's story. We really want to sit down and kind of have very casual conversations about what it is we do and why we continue to get up every day to do it, uh, regardless of all the, the the obstacles that may, you know, and challenges, if you will, that, 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 that come our way on a daily basis. So that's what you can expect from Provoke. And, uh, you know, just without further ado, let's jump right into it. We have a guest in the studio. Um, this is Megan Cartaya. That is correct. How are you doing, Megan? <laughs> Good. It's Friday, so I'm ready to get out of the office. Yeah, I mean, ready to start the weekend. Yeah, it's a little rainy right now here in, in sunny Florida, the Sunshine State. But um, <laughs> you know, we'll take what we can get. Um, so, to kind of just dive in. Just I wanted you just to take a couple minutes to kind of tell people what you do here, like your role, your team's role, and. You know, how you go from day to day fulfilling the social media requirements that our clients need. Sure. So uh, I'm the social media manager here at Evoke. Uh, We have a a pretty close and tight knit team here. Um, We've got a a team that's made up of uh, content coordinators, uh, social media coordinators and um, content collaborators that help us with photography and content creation and that kind of thing. Um, So my role essentially is... uh, pretty strategic in how we approach our, our clients' goals. So I'll assist in uh, developing our content strategy plans, mm-hmm. um, laying out our advertising strategies, paid and organic, I'm, I'm very heavily involved in, and then uh, executing those strategies and also producing monthly ROI and engagement reports. So we're, we're pretty involved uh, as, as far as our client's social media goes. We, we do things soup to nuts. So we, we see it through every, every phase of the process. So it's definitely more than just tweeting and Facebooking all day, as as most people tend to assume that social media managers and coordinators do. <laughs> yeah, as much as I'd like to live uh, hashtagging my life, it, it is a little <laughs> bit more than that. Um, <laughs> uh, that that is a huge misconception, but I think we do a pretty good job of of offering uh, great value to our clients mm-hmm. and and having that overall strategic approach and being able to balance the paid and, and organic side. So, um, you know, I'm very proud of my team and, and what we do we we bring a lot to the table okay so you say paid organic there's a lot of a lot of jargon mm-hmm. that maybe <laughs> the the average person might not understand mm-hmm. as far as um social because most most people social when you say social media they're thinking you know tagging a, a photo on facebook or mm-hmm. sending out a, a a political rant on twitter <laughs> those are my yeah. favorite <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of i kind of had a question about the the account management aspect of it, mm-hmm. how much of you, because especially in, in the very, the, the, the times that we're living in right now with a lot of political turmoil and trolls and the idea of that. Mm. So how much of your time do you think on average is spent kind of just weeding through a lot of the, I guess, unqualified <laughs> uh, characters out there? A lot, a lot of time. Um, we, we probably spend, you know, if I had to give it a ratio, it'd probably be like a, 
70, 30, um, or 60, 40. I mean, obviously we, we do spend a good amount of time in, you know, setting up our ad campaigns and reporting and that kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. the bulk of our time day to day is getting in there, creating the content, making sure our, we're building relationships with our, um, audiences and Mm -hmm. our fans, um, you know, weeding out some of those unfavorable comments and messages Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of thing. So we do, we do spend a good portion of time. I mean, the whole point of social media is to humanize your brand and, you know, further those relationships with your audiences and your, your consumers. So, um, that's a huge part of, of what we do here. Okay, cool. Um, and you, you'd mentioned the idea of just, um, adding the content to, Mm -hmm. to your clients, I guess their, their, their accounts. Now, uh, what are the differences between just simply posting, simply posting a tweet or, you know, a Facebook post and doing a full scale campaign Mm -hmm. through social media? So we would call those simple posts that you're referring to Mm -hmm. evergreen content. Okay. So there's going to be a lot of generic, um, content that we're going to push out for our brands that focus on their overall brand or their, you know, uh, general products and services. And that is, it's not timely essentially. So, um, that kind of content is probably, uh, about a third of what we produce for them. We kind of okay. like to follow okay. the, the rule of thirds here at Evoke. So a third of the content is engagement based. It's focused on relationship building. Um, a third of it is to drive sales and revenue. So you want that to be product or service oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, and a third of it is to position you as a thought leader. So you're engaging with other industry related brands. You're sharing their content. Um, you're sharing your opinion on it. So we try to keep it balanced. Um, and that probably makes up a, the majority of our monthly content. And then there are going to be monthly or quarterly promotions or campaigns that we kind of have to trickle into that mix as well. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a, a happy, happy balance. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, switching gears just a bit. What, and I've always been curious about this and your, <laughs> oh, in your experiences, in your experiences here so far without giving away too much, too much detail information, can you think back to a a time either recently or further back where things kind of just maybe went off the rails and it was like almost like a an emergency social media thing that you kind of you were able to get your team together and and handle mm-hmm. it put out the fire and really kind of flex your crisis communications muscle uh I want to say yes, and I want to yeah, say no. It's, no. Yeah, understandable. But, uh, or I, even if there's an example that you've seen in in out in the social yeah. media around from other companies or brands that you're just like, hey. mm-hmm. it's like I wonder how it's like if I were in that position, mm-hmm. how would I have kind of tackled that issue? Sure. So uh, we we have um, you know no no brand is perfect, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of variables that are not in our control. Um, So there have absolutely been times where um, maybe a conversation has taken a wrong turn or uh, a consumer has complained about something Mm -hmm. um, that maybe they they misunderstood or that kind of thing. And and it kind of spiraled out of control because, uh, you know, they are what you'd consider to be trolls and and people find that kind of content entertaining. So but I think what what makes a smart uh, social media marketer is understanding that those things are going to happen mm-hmm. and knowing that there are a certain set of procedures and protocols that you might want to follow um, 
that can help you be more proactive than reactive. So Mm -hmm. we have been in a situation where that's happened. And, um, our first priority was we need to be timely. So we immediately send out a response that addresses the consumer's concern. Um, maybe informs our audience of what we're doing to uh, fix the situation or what's already been done. Um, And then working with our PR teams as well to um, prevent it from spiraling out of control even further. So um, there are times where you have to be reactive and then situations like that um, assist us in developing more proactive plans to um, prevent that from happening in the future. So you know, you kind of have to take it as it comes. You can't control everything. Unfortunately, the uh-uh. social realm is a scary place, but uh, we, we definitely do what we can and mm-hmm. we're, we're very on top of things. So um, that's probably our biggest asset. So it's definitely it's safe to say that it's definitely like a, a balancing act. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there is a brand out there that is able to avoid every possible crisis presented on social media, please <laughs> introduce me to them. I'd love to have a conversation. <laughs> Okay. Well, um, thank you. Um, we're going to move into the next segment, uh, called, uh, working title, uh, take it or leave it. But, um, I uh, thank you for coming to the studio. You're going to, you're going to stick around and do that with us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Uh, we're moving on to the next segment known as take it or leave it. Um, uh, this is kind of just a work in progress for right now. Uh, basically just a brief explanation. It's almost like a round robin rapid fire, uh, discussion where we kind of take a look at about three or four, current or emerging ad trends, issues, stories, or topics, and we just decide whether or not it's something that we should keep an eye on or kind of leave in the dust. Um, kind of, they think of it like a yay or nay, um, it's like yes or no kind of thing, and then we kind of wax poetic on it for a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes for each one, depending on how robust the conversation gets. So, Megan, <laughs> uh, are you ready? I got, I guess I have no choice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So for the first topic, uh, we uh, take it or leave it. Newfound emphasis on vertical video. Uh, Well, kind of hard. I'm I'm kind of on the fence about this because I think there is a place for it on certain platforms, Mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily on others like Facebook, which is, you know, the mother of all social presences. Uh, Vertical video is an absolute no God. It's like one of my biggest complaints when we get video from, you know, clients or people out in the field. It drives me crazy when it's vertical because it gets it doesn't showcase uh-huh. or maximize, I guess, the amount of, of space of uh, realty, you know, on Facebook. Um, but Instagram stories and Snapchat, absolutely. I mean, that's a full screen kind of an ex- experience. Mm-hmm. So you need that vertical video. It's easier. That's the normal. Um, oh, God. <laughs> The normal orientation of the phone. So uh, people are naturally holding their phones that way. That's the way that you want it to view instead of having to make them turn their phones. Mm -hmm. So uh, it it depends. Uh, Certain platforms, yes. Certain platforms, no. See, and I guess for me, it's more of a resounding take it just Mm -hmm. for the simple fact that when you look at your phone, even Mm -hmm. if you're just looking at a notification or an email or someone's Mm -hmm. calling you, your standard... Your standard move is to hold it vertically. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's just basic UX UI. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like keeping that. I don't know where the idea of you know turning the phone horizontally. I guess because you know a lot of wide wider screen displays. You mm-hmm. know with, with monitors and, and TVs, it kind of makes it easier to kind of format that. But 
I, I, I'm always been a big proponent of, of preserving that user experience and, and, and vertical video has always been that. So yeah, definitely take it for me. Yeah. Well, I think that you're still preserving the user experience on platforms like Facebook mm-hmm. where the feed mm-hmm. is formatted to accommodate for horizontal videos, horizontal photos. Mm-hmm. So I think you're preserving the experience there by moving your phone's orientation and videoing things in a horizontal format. But mm-hmm. absolutely agree with you on Instagram, on Snapchat, um, you know, things of that aspect. I, I think that a vertical video is a must. All right. Yeah. There you go. Um, okay. Moving on to the next topic. Um, what about the idea of brands kind of co- kind of communicating with people on social media as if they were humans? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's our job. I, we want to humanize the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I said earlier, um, the whole point of social really at, at its core is to focus on relationship building, is to extend that conversation that you're having with the consumer. Yes, they just product or they just purchased your product, but let's take that conversation a little bit further. So we're creating those loyal brand ambassadors. So absolutely. I, I mean, I think that's huge. That's that is the the root of of social's being. So that's always our goal for okay. our clients. Okay, uh, this is this might be something where we defer just a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely on the leave it side of things, just because it it seems a little it feels a little off putting when you know you're 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 kind of just perusing Twitter or wherever you mm-hmm. hang out. And you, 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 you rant about how, you know, Comcast is awful or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, your, your, your toilet paper, you said you thought it was two ply, but it's really one. You, you, <laughs> you, you tweet Charmin and they're like, and they come back and it's just like, oh dude, we're so sorry about that. It's, there's something very, there's a weird juxtaposition to me when a brand, a, 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 a company that's known for, for, for kind of touting, touting a product or mm-hmm. a service kind of reverts to this weird like oh i'm your i'm i'm with you i'm your i'm on your side i mm-hmm. understand your play i was like no you're trying to sell me something like it does it, it so it's always been odd for me to have those kind of human or buddy i guess more like buddy buddy interactions with brands on social media yeah and i see i see your point but mm. i think there there is a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And uh, as a, you know, if we're using Charmin as the example and someone's complaining about their quilted toilet paper, mm-hmm. um, my response wouldn't be to be as casual as, hey, dude, where, yo, what's up? You know, there, there's definitely a right way to go about it. Um, I would say that's probably too far on the uh, quote unquote human spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit of a try hard kind of reaction, you know, Um, but I I think there is an appropriate way to do it. I think that people use social because they know that they're going to get that personal conversation with a brand, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not, there's a reason why they're reaching out to you on social versus submitting a formal complaint form through your website or giving you a call and waiting to be transferred through your call center. I mean, they, they are contacting you through social Mm -hmm. because they know that you're going to be social with them. Absolutely. But Again, it's all about balance. It's all about balance. It's that's probably the PC answer, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on to the next topic: um, influencer marketing. So, I guess the idea of kind of tapping third-party mm-hmm. folks who have built a following, who have built this sort of reputation, whether it's through fashion or food, mm-hmm. entertainment, and kind of using their 
network, their prowess, their experience to help boost your own, you know, product or service. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I I love leveraging, you know, um, influencers to promote a, a brand that they are, you know, probably currently passionate about or mm-hmm. that aligns with their lifestyle. Um, and and this is the the marketer in me speaking, but I. I love it when it can be more native, when they have to post, you know, hashtag ad, hashtag sponsorship, you know, that that kind of takes away from the organicness of that influencer promoting something. Um, But, you know, there's definitely the other side of it where it it could be taken as deceiving if they are paid to do, you know, X amount of tweets for your brand and Mm -hmm. and whatnot. So, um, I, I do think it's beneficial. We, we leverage influencers here at Evoke. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, there is, it, it's, it's a delicate, you know, space to be in. You have to kind of tread lightly. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very, very diplomatic response. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it one way or the other. I know that there are are influencers out there who are really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the only caveat that I've ever found is that an influencer could change his or her mind about how they feel about a product like that. Mm-hmm. Like It takes one mishap. It takes mm-hmm. one failed attempt or failure within that product or service for most people in general, influencer mm-hmm. not, to kind of just be like, okay, I'm done with this. Let's mm-hmm. move on to something else. So I think that's that's... While influencer marketing is awesome and it's mm-hmm. a great way to boost your network and boost impressions and just network presence, mm-hmm. there is that risk that I think you're taking when you kind of put all your eggs in one basket mm-hmm. or just hedge too many of your bets on mm-hmm. the the efficacy of that influencer. Absolutely. I mean, there is definitely a certain type of vetting process that we would have to go to Mm -hmm. to engage in that kind of relationship with an influencer but you know if you think about it and you know they're on board for one promotion and Mm -hmm. and, you know it has a huge amount of reach and um, you've gained a lot of positive coverage for it and then the next day they've immediately changed their opinion Mm -hmm. and they're posting something negative about your brand well at least in that case you've already established some kind of relationship with them where you can reach out to them and go hey you know we're really sorry that Mm -hmm. you feel this way about our product or service and you know we know you loved it previously is there anything that we can do to kind of make make things right and make amends so you know Mm -hmm. it i i feel like my answers are the same Uh, there's a balance it's all about balance Oh man, you need to take a you need to take a firm stance. One way well, or the other. Well, I I love influencer campaigns and uh, I love leveraging them. So if I had to choose, take it or leave it, I would definitely say take it. Okay, cool. Okay, for the sake of time, uh, we're gonna just knock out this one one more topic, um, or one more trend, if you will. Uh, what about the popularity of social media challenges? You know, like the the mannequin challenge, the mm-hmm. the running man challenge. There's a bunch of them out there, and I, I guess it kind of all started. More or less with the uh, the ALS ice bucket challenge that mm-hmm. happened about, about two years ago or so. Um, and it's kind of just spurred a, a collection of other challenges that are kind of similar, but maybe not have the same uh, charitable arm that mm-hmm. the ALS ice bucket challenge had. So what do you think about that rising trend? And, and especially with brands kind of engaging in those challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh. 
Well, um, as a consumer, as an end user, when these come about, I think they're so entertaining at first. And then it seems like every time, you know, they just get totally, they're like overkill. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's taking up my feed. At this point, it's, you know, dead and gone and mm-hmm. it's still being shared and brands are trying to hop on at the tail end of things. And it's like, you know, I I don't know. I could, I could probably leave it. Um, there's definitely an entertainment value to it, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think I would be heartbroken as a marketer or even end user if these things were uh, not in existence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is just this is a hardcore leave for me, yeah. um, <laughs> mainly because I'll never forget the day that my mom sent me a video of her dabbing for the first time. Oh God, <laughs> gotta be traumatic. <laughs> And so just just the idea of of I I don't, I don't want to say out of touch uh-huh. brands but right. brands kind of going back to what we were talking about about mm-hmm. brands being almost too human or a little mm-hmm. too friendly or right, comfortable right. with their audiences I, I kind of I, li- I kind of liken this to the to that to that sentiment um, that th- you got to draw a line you got to uh, draw yeah. a line um, yeah. you, you got to have you got to be able to discern the difference between a great marketing opportunity and yes, just pure, absolutely. just sheer entertainment. So yeah, that's a big leave for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'm with you there too. I mean, at the end of the day, as a brand, you got to know your audience mm-hmm. and your demographic. And I think if you're, you think that you're trying to be hip and cool by participating in one of these, mm-hmm. you're probably totally missing the mark. And I think that says a lot about your understanding of, of who you're, customer is at Absolutely. the end of the day, you Absolutely. know? So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. This is a leave it for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that, uh, wraps up that segment, uh, take it or leave it working title. Um, <laughs> um, all right, guys, that wraps up the first episode of the provoke podcast. I want to thank Megan Cartaya for taking time to hang out with us today. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, send them to provoke at evokead.com. And be sure to follow Evoke on Twitter at evokead and Facebook at evokeadvertising to keep up with our contributions to the advertising world. Now, for this particular sign-off, since it is the first one, I kind of want to leave you guys with an inspirational quote because that's just how we roll. Um, and this one's from George Parker. And he says, the only people who care about advertising are the people who work in advertising. Go ahead, marinate on that one. Take care. <laughs>